Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Yes, you are. The buzz today is networks. Ooh, you want to hear this one. Let's start. Over the past 20 years or so, networks such as B2B, B2C, mobile technology, exchanges, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, you're familiar with all of these. These have all changed how we interact with the world on a personal level and on a commercial level, meaning business. This networked economy, as it's called, it's also been called the next global economic revolution. It's being accelerated, sped up, and fueled by the convergence of several things, number one. One is social connectivity. We are all socially connected now. Device to vice, to do device connectivity. The devices are talking to each other. Our devices are. Our machines are talking to each other. Yes, and the third is business to business connectivity and collaboration, a key word to our show today. So we're going to take a step back and let's see what's been happening and what does the future hold. A couple of questions. Are we already nearing the peak? or just beginning to scratch scratch the surface of leveraging networks to drive speed, volume, and value in electronic commerce. And are, I love this word, nascent, meaning newly born, or yet unborn networks on the horizon, meaning is there new stuff, exciting stuff coming up soon? I have a panel of experts who are going to help us dig through this and come out with some good answers for you on the other side. So stick with us for the next 57 minutes. That's how long we'll be on the air and hear their words of wisdom and their expertise. First up on the panel is Vivek Bapat. He's a global VP in marketing at SAP, and he sent me a wonderful quote from Andre Gide. I'm going to read it in English first, and then Vivek, wait for me to attempt it in French. I think I can pull this off. The quote is, one does not discover new lands without consenting to lose sight for a very long time of the shore. And in French, it's on ne découvre pas de terre nouvelle sans consentir à perte de vue, d'abord et longtemps, tour rivage. How did I do, Vivek? Welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. It's a great pleasure to be on the show with you today. And, you know, I often wonder why things sound so much better in French. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm glad that you actually translated that for me. It wasn't me kind of... Uh, impose my French on the audience here. But I'm delighted to be here. Um, the reason why I really like this quote is because I think it's uh, it really captures the essence of how breakthrough ideas and transformational change happen. And there are two aspects of it that, um, that I find very appealing. The first one is um, this particular quote basically talks about how we can all bring about critical thinking to challenge existing assumptions or yesterday's assumptions. And the second aspect of it is that once you challenge some of the existing assumptions, what types of experimentation and what types of risks can you take in order to bring about ideas that nobody's ever considered before? Um, And I think a lot of what we will talk about today in the context of the network economy is uh, characteristic of, of this type of change that we see happening in the market. 
Vivek, you mentioned the word risk. Is this something that's inherent in, in what we're talking about, this pushing networks, pushing commerce, pushing ahead into the future? As I said, so much is happening, so many factors, the next global economic revolution. Do people see risk as a negative thing, or do they see it as an exciting opportunity? What's your POV on this before we go to our next panelist? Um, yeah, I think, I think it's a great question, Bonnie. I think from my perspective, if you're – uh, of an entrepreneurial bent, you often see risk as an advantage because most entrepreneurs will try to uh, figure out what the risk is. They'll try to come up with solutions that overcome that risk. And I think, you know, this is sort of where we are um, in, the, in the discussion today relative, relative to the network economy. I think you mentioned a couple of things that are coming together, uh, which is the notion of social collaboration, device-to-device connectivity, and business-to-business collaboration. All of these things have been emerging by themselves sort of in parallel for, for some time now. And what we see is an opportunity for the, the convergence of these three big trends to drive the next wave of productivity. Where the risk comes in is the notion of the entire aspect, the promise of the network economy depends upon information and data. In, in a lot of uh, aspects, a lot of this information and data is not just going to come from businesses, but it's going to come from individuals. And how we treat that data, you know, what are some of the security systems that we build around that data is sort of the, the aspect of risk that I think most entrepreneurs who want to um, sort of create new inventions uh, in the network economy are going to have to think about. Thank you very much, Vivek. Great opening for our show. Appreciate your answering my question. Thank you so much. Let's turn to our second panelist. It's Drew Hoffler. He's a director for solutions marketing for SAP Cloud and Network Solutions. There's our keyword today, networks. And I have a quote from Drew that is commonly attributed to Charles Darwin. And here's the quote. It is the long history of humankind and animal kind, too. Those who learn to collaborate and improvise most effectively have prevailed. So we've got our our other word, collaborate. Drew Hoffler, welcome. How are you today? I'm well, Bonnie. Thank you. Appreciate being on, on the show. We're glad to have you. So talk to me. Interesting quote from Darwin. We'll, we'll say it's from Darwin. I must have looked up 20 <laughs> attributions and one said, no, 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 it's one of the top five. Not really Darwin, but you know what? We'll give it to Charles. Charlie will be happy with <laughs> yeah, that. That's, so talk- <laughs> that's great. I'm not usually a huge Darwinist, but I really like this quote, particularly because it has, you know, two, those two keywords in there, right? Collaborate and, and improvise. And when I think about the network economy, how I usually think about it and talk about it is the, 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 the core of the network economy is really getting the right information to the right people at the right time so that they can make the right decisions and drive the right results. And so, you know, if it's all about this idea of, of sharing of information, I think what Vivek said is right, sharing of information and data and getting it uh, to the right people, but, it, but it's the right information. And, mm-hmm. But that all kind of implies this idea of it's more than just one person or one party in the process. It's, it's a number of parties across a process, and that really implies collaboration. And so, uh, you know, the, the collaboration is really, is really key to the network economy because networks are all about connecting people and processes and things to that effect. And when we talk about this idea of improvisation, you know, when you have a number of parties collaborating over a process and everybody looking at core information, key information at the right time, and, you know, from different angles, there is such a great opportunity for that improvisation, or as we like to say in technology, uh, innovation, right? So 
Mm-hmm. It really is really the core of the of the networked economy in my mind is this idea of of having all the stuff that you need at your fingertips to collaborate over a process, get outside of silos, you know, get the right people involved and collaborate over the same information at the right time and come up with, with innovative ways of doing things, come up with innovative solutions that, you know, before the network economy just were not possible. So that's why I like this quote. It really brings those two things together and says that those are the key things in the quote, really, not just to surviving, but to thriving. And, and so that's where, that's why I like that quote. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate that. And I have a question for you, too. I want to level set on the word networks. We talked about B2B, B2C, exchanges, social networking. Mm-hmm. Shall we make the assumption at the, the start of the show, shall we make the assumption that people are in networks because they choose to be? They want to be networked. They're not, it's not like uh, you move into the neighborhood and you find an OMG who just moved next door, or you go to a store and say, oh, who's at the next cash register? People are in this. They're doing this on a business. Let's focus on business. Business networks are because they hope to gain something from that network experience and opportunity. Can we say that is a ground rule for what we're talking about today? Yeah, I tend to agree. I'd use the term value, right? They're in a network because they see some value in it, um, and, it and they can gain some value out of it. I think uh, I think one of the interesting things about a potential uh, business network is that oftentimes, you know, a business network, some parties join because maybe a customer invites them to join and says, hey, I want to do business with you in a certain way, and I want you to join this network. And they may be reluctant about that at first, but when they can see the value when they join the network and they start seeing the value, very often they then turn around and start inviting and, and get other people on. And that's that whole networked effect that is, that is so powerful. But it, but it really does revolve around the idea of, you know, seeing value in it. And so to your point, wanting to be on it to that degree. Thank you very much. I just felt it was important for our audience to know that what we're talking about in terms of networks. Appreciate that, Drew. And let's turn to our third panelist. He's already a veteran of SAP Game Changers Radio. He's on with me just a couple weeks ago. It's Reuven Gorst from SAP. He's a global VP of customer strategy. And here's a quote that, interestingly enough, comes from an ad just a few years ago, a very popular ad from the Boston Consulting Group. And here's the quote. There are no old roads to new directions. Ooh, that sounds like such a prophecy. It almost sounds biblical. Talk to me, Ruben. Welcome back. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie. Good morning, and uh, great to be here again. Thank you. So I chose the quote because, as, as we've discussed before, we're really sailing in some uncharted waters here. Um, and let me, let me start with an example. I just came across it this week, which, which I think is, puts a phenomenal context around what we're going to talk about here in, in the context of a network. So Grace Choi, uh, 23 years old, young Harvard grad um, stands up at uh, TechCrunch Disrupt, which is a a conference, essentially doing a a demonstration. Mm -hmm. And Grace has invented essentially a 3D printer that costs about under $300 Mm -hmm. and allows anyone to print makeup in their own home. And she stands up very confidently on stage and she shows a demonstration that essentially lets you take pick any color off the web, whether if it's your friend's lipstick or an ad that you see, paste that into a screen and literally with one button print makeup. She printed some, some eyeshadow as an example. Wow. So I look at that as a really phenomenal but yet eye-opening um, example in terms of just how much disruption we're about to see. And if, if we mm-hmm. think about it in the context of a network, 
in the past, just an individual, how would Grace have access to funding? How would she have access to creating this even prototype, marketing it, selling it? It's all coming from the network, the ability to, to get funding through various platforms that are out there, the ability to sell, the ability to create and market mm-hmm. are now completely changing the game. So back into uncharted waters, if you're Sephora or L'Oreal, etc., and you're watching this young lady demonstrate what she's about to come out with in a very affordable way to put one of those printers in literally almost every home um, across the Americas, would you be worried? And if I look, you know, if I ask myself, I would, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So that's where I feel that the power of the network is really going to kick us into high gear. It's all about business models. It's all about business model disruption. And when you look at established businesses, there are really no old roads, new directions. Applying what's worked in the past is not going to work moving forward when you have this level of innovation and ingenuity by just a single individual. Amazing. What a great case study. What a great business use case, Ruben. I really appreciate that. I have to look her up. I think every fashionable or fashion-conscious woman's Christmas or Hanukkah list this year is going to say, I want a 3D printer. I want a great monitor on my computer so I can pick out the colors and I can go anywhere and look any way I want to without having to go to Macy's or Nordstrom's to buy that damn eyeshadow. Wow. Wow. And the cost of, of each one probably will go down and down and down so it will be economic very feasible to have an eyeshadow for every occasion. <laughs> very exciting. So is it Grace Choi, C-H-O-I or C-H-O-Y? C-H-O-I. Thank you. I want Dave to tweet about that. we gotta got to get some buzz going on that. And, and nice of you to bring that in. I'm so pleased we have a man talking about the advent of 3D printing for makeup. <laughs> I'm very, very delighted. And on that note, we're going to circle back to Vivek. And I'm going to ask Vivek probably the hardest question I'll ask you for the entire show today, Vivek. What's in your cup today? I warned you. Or what do you wish you were drinking after the show? If you could just travel, mind travel over whatever network to someplace else, what would be in your cup today. Go ahead, Vivek. Well, I, I'm probably not as uh, adventurous as some of your guests have been uh, in the past, but I'm just, I'm literally just having a cup of coffee and enjoying the conversation. What kind of coffee? You're not going to get away that easy. What's the brand? What's, is it just, decaf? Is it caffeine? What is it? Well, it's definitely caffeine. Um, okay. And it's Starbucks, uh, the, the medium, one of the French roast medium blend. Okay. Do you put anything in it? Uh, yes, uh, a little and? bit of sugar and some milk. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're making me work saying. awfully hard here, Vivek. <laughs> Thank yeah, you very much. It's, it's not as adventurous, and maybe after the show, I'll, you know, depending upon what time of uh, the day it is, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Um, I so agree. We'll I agree. You'll put a little something a little more adventuresome and innovative into that coffee. Thank you, Vivek. Okay. Thanks for humoring me and putting up with me, Drew Hoffler. What are you drinking, or what do you wish? You were drinking our Charles Darwin quoter today. Yeah, well, given that this is a morning uh, show uh, where I'm at, at least, and uh, in the spirit of a desire for a lively discussion, I have a double shot depth charge in my in my cup, which is uh, two two shots of espresso inside of a large cup of coffee. 
Wow, double shot depth charge. I love that. By the way, Drew, this is a secret just between you and me. Don't tell anybody. They don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days. <laughs> I don't know why. It's the edict from SAP. No caffeine for Bonnie. Thank you very much. And you enjoy your depth charge. That's amazing. Reuven Ru- Gorst, what are you drinking today? You're a veteran of this. What do you What do you think I want to hear you say today? Well, so so today I'm drinking uh, an, an icy, you know, a, a vanilla bean frappuccino. Um, actually, first first thing in the morning, and and reason is it's it's finally a sunny day. So for those of us, uh, I'm 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 in Toronto, Canada, and I, I'm sure everyone uh, across uh, across North America has felt the treacherous winter. So it's finally nice to have a, a sunny day, 60 degrees outside, makes you just want to go out and sip an icy drink and feel mellow. So that's what I'm having today. Well, I have well, to agree with that because yep. Toronto is actually south of where I'm at in the U.S. in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. So <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that uh, sunny day. Next and what's the Minneapolis? Day. Is is it sunny in Minneapolis right now? Well, actually, it's thunderstorming. But uh, if it were sunny, <laughs> I'd go out and get a vanilla bean frappuccino. There you go. And I would, too. It's rainy and very chilly here in New York. Everything is green and lush, but it's kind of blech outside. So I'm hoping for something better later in the day. And, and Dave, uh, Dave uh, Fowler, our sponsor of this series, Future of Business, presented by SAP Special Services. Uh, Dave is, um, I'm looking at two screens here, so forgive me. Dave says, in my cup, Newman's own special Keurig blend. We're glad, Dave, as it's Dave Fowler and the show. Of course, you're listening to Future of Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services, and they are special. We've got Dave tweeting today. We've got Andy Grieg tweeting. And if you'd like to join the Twitter party, join us at hashtag SAP Radio. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 10 in this special 13 weeks miniseries. And by the way, Dave is renewing for later in the year, so we'll be coming back in the fall with another set of Future of Business with Game Changers programs. We're live right now. It's Thursday, May 8, 2014. Woohoo! And our topic is the future of networked commerce, changing how the world interacts. My very special panel today, Vivek Bapat, Drew Hoffler, Reuven Gorst. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We have a lot more coming up. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're going to go out for about 90 seconds, and when we come back, I'm warning my panel. It's a 25-minute roundtable nonstop, so buckle up. We're going to have a great time. Brad out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Here we are, and the future of business is happening right now. Our topic today is the future of networked commerce. If you don't know what that is, you're going to learn a lot from my panel. Very smart, very lively. We have Vivek Bapat, Global VP of Marketing at SAP. Drew Hoffler, Director of Solutions Marketing for SAP Cloud and Network Solutions. And Ruben Gorscht, Global VP of Customer Strategy at SAP. We're going to kick off the roundtable with Vivek Bapat, and we're going to do a look back over our shoulder at a little bit of history. Vivek is going to lead the tour. So let me just start out with a statement from your notes, Vivek, and then I'll let you go. You told me over the last 150 years, the world has seen three distinct inflection points in global conditions, each of which created a quantum leap of opportunities and GDP. I'm not going to give away the rest, so why don't you fill in the blanks. Vivek Bapat, please go ahead. Yeah, sure. So I think um, as we look into the future, it's also very important to look at uh, the past and, as you pointed out, uh, look a little bit over, uh, over our shoulder to see what type of road we've been traveling on over the last 150 years. Um, as I indicated, I think there have been three very distinct inflection points uh, in, the, in the global economy over the last 150 years. And the way that we measure this is not just productivity, but the, the profound impact that it's had on people, all of us as individuals, on businesses, and at society at large. And you can look at those uh, inflection points of the three categories in, in three parts. So the first one was in the late or the mid-1850s um, was the birth of the Industrial Revolution, which was, think about the steam en- engine, textile manufacturing, automation, gaslighting, all of these different things. And what that did was it fundamentally changed the way in business. There was a shift towards mass manufacturing, broad distribution, and so on and so forth. And in terms of the impact on people's lives, there's a major shift from the movement of people from mostly being concentrated in rural areas towards mm-hmm. urbanization, increases in per capita income, and so on and so forth. Um, in today's dollar uh, amount, for instance, it was a relatively small economy. It was a relatively small economy. So it was about $360 billion. The next revolution was what we can call the IT revolution, and this was really basically triggered through the innovation of the microprocessor. I won't go into all of the details associated with that, but think Mm -hmm. about all of the conveniences of the past, like calculators, PCs, automatic uh, automatic appliances, and so on and so forth. That created an economy of close to $12 trillion. And the next set was really sort of a buildup of both the Industrial Revolution and the IT Revolution, something that we recognize as the Internet Revolution, where the Internet Revolution was about connecting everything. It was, uh, it was basically connecting consumers to computers, connecting computers to each other, and it, it essentially changed the way that businesses, people, and society communicated and transacted. So if you continue this flow forward, what we see is the next economic revolution is really a convergence of all of these things coming together. And we potentially see, by the year 2020, the network economy as being a $90 trillion uh, you know, industry uh, in, in terms of GDP, uh, GDP ratio and acceleration of productivity. 
Great history lesson. Appreciate that. Good start to looking back as we look forward because we are the future of business. Uh, Drew Hoffler, you want to comment? Uh, any yeah. comments or you want to agree with his, his version of history? What's your version? Well, I like his version of history. I, I think it's interesting, though, is as you think about the um, – you know, the next thing that's coming and the, the Internet revolution and making connections, you know, the connections that are that are made, obviously, you know, everybody's getting connected and there's, you know, connection to all sorts of information. But the I think one of the one of the one of the things that that arises is a problem that we obviously haven't had in the past. And that is too much information, right? Too much, uh, too much connectivity. That is that is maybe unformatted. And while, you know, that allows us to have access to all sorts of things, I think what's coming, I think what's going to come out of that next is we, you know, we've already started talking a lot about big data and, and all and all of this because just the amount of data that is piling up because of these connections is very quickly going to become, if it hasn't already, you know, become unmanageable. So where this goes, I think, is 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 with the, the innovations that will come around Getting some control over that and grabbing, again, like I said before, the right information and getting it to the right people at the right time instead of just dumping a pile of data, but rather bringing out the right information from that data. And so I think where I, I agree that that is definitely the Internet revolution is definitely creating, you know, so much, so much value. But I think the next step in that is now to begin to grab some grab some control over that or grab the right information out of it and begin to get that at the right time to the right people. And I think we're starting to see that happen really in the network economy. That that's where that's where a lot of powerful things are happening. Well that yeah, certainly sounds funny, optimistic. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. funny if I could just maybe add a couple of um, you know Please. thoughts to what Blue just said. I think he's absolutely right, meaning that in the network economy the convergence of data, or, or, or rather the, the translation of data into knowledge, where knowledge okay. ultimately becomes the currency mm-hmm. of the future, is a very, very important aspect. And I think when you look at the amount of data that's going to be generated in the future, it's, you know, there's so many studies that talk about big data and sort of the projections of volumes and velocity and variety of data that's going to be created in the future. If you look at all of that data, and there's also another data point that says, Today, we've been able to analyze only 1% of all of this data. And so wow. when you look at the 99% of data that's available, and that set is growing larger every day, you can see the enormous potential that the network economy holds in the future. I think it's really important to grab control of that, too, because, you know, as I think about the fact that we have 1% of it analyzed, you know, if you think about it, if you go into a restaurant that has a menu with, you know, 10 to 15 items, making your decision on what to get is really easy. But at least for me, when I go into a really nice restaurant, there's, you know, 100 different items on the menu. It's very difficult. There's almost a paralysis by analysis, you know, over just that. Well, think about in business decisions where there's so much data potentially available to you. Where do you start and how do you focus in on what you need? And I really think that's the next important thing. Good point. Reuven, want to hear from you. Sure. So I, I just wanted to uh, build in on uh, something that Vivek said around talking more about how we've increased productivity and how productivity is only go- going to increase. I-, I see it a little bit differently as well because there's another side to this coin, and that is the erosion of productivity and the erosion of some, some GDP 
because of some of this technology converging. And, and we've already seen examples over the past few years where digitization and taking out intermediaries through the network economy has already impacted industry. So think about music, how we consume music today versus just a few short years ago going to buy a CD or going back in time buying a cassette, etc. Publishing, media, photography. So those industries, again, coming back to this whole concept of disruption, are being essentially wiped off the map. And they're being replaced by the networked economy, the peer-to-peer sharing, and, um, and, and various, you know, various other things that are to come. For example, like the Internet of Things, where we're talking about connecting devices and, 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 and machines to, um, to, all, you know, to all this data and information becoming far more intelligent. So, so in my mind, it'll actually be able to wipe out some industries and businesses and big brands as we know them today. Perhaps some of them will successfully evolve as, the, as, as some of them have. However, it's not only a growth story, but it's also a story of disruption. What, do you, what you do today will be mm-hmm. eventually irrelevant, so you have to think about how to jump on the bandwagon um, or take a risk with the status quo. Thank you, Ruben. I wanted to add a little sidebar, too. I think Drew just talked about the menu as you go into a restaurant, good restaurant, and it's a huge menu, right? And, right. and c- can we say that let, – let's say, and tell me if I'm completely off base here, that that's your structured data. It's structured because it's on the menu. It is there in front of you, and you can turn the page, and you know you can look back and forward, and it exists. It has a, it has a function and a form, hopefully a function. And then the waiter comes up to you and says, and we have specials. Would you like to hear them? And the waiter rattles off 12 specials specials in detail down to the most minute what fork the chef used to stir whatever it was and what knife he used to julienne the carrots or whatever it is and he's rattling <laughs> off the prices and you say well now I'd, I'd like to hear the fourth special no was it the third and I think that you've got all of a sudden the surprise of your unstructured data is just streaming and you've got five pages of menu you've got 12 specials you got this guy babbling at you maybe in, an, in a fake accent because it's supposed to be a continental <laughs> restaurant you have no clue what he's talking about <laughs> So, so Bonnie, maybe as opposed to that, the experience you just described, as opposed to saying, um, good afternoon, Miss Graham, would you like what you had last time? And that's an example ah. of leveraging the data um, yes. and, and, and yes. making use of it to put everything in context. And perhaps you don't want what you had last time, but wouldn't it be nice if it would the be company lovely. or the business or the brand knew you yes. and made a suggestion based on what they know? Yes, and that's part of what we call the customer experience and a delightful experience and understanding and knowing who your customers are. Who wanted to say something? I heard somebody. Yeah, so this is Vivek. I think, I mean, I think we have to think a little bit beyond the customer experience in, in the case of the network economy because mm-hmm. the network economy is not just about delivering a personalized experience. It's also connecting people. It's, it's, it's connecting people, devices, and businesses and making those connections across each other. So in the, in the, in the restaurant scenario, uh, yes, there, there's going to be some kind of a historical record where they know what you prefer, but mm-hmm. how about if, that, if, if something that is proposed uh, is tied back to your, your health, for instance, and there's mm-hmm. a little Fitbit or you know, some kind of a wearable device that you have that actually signals that certain types of foods uh, are good for you or you're allergic to certain things, and so 
what you get into is not just sort of historical context based upon your preferences in the past, but you get into a live interaction with things that you've never thought about today. Right? So imagine going into a restaurant and they already know, for instance, uh, what you're allergic to, uh, what your preferences mm. have been, where, you know, what types of um, brands you prefer, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And I think that's the type of uh, scenario that you can see in terms of the network economy acting out in the future from an individual perspective. You know, that I think that that raises some important issues about B2B type of networks. Mm-hmm. when we start talking about business commerce, because, you know, Vivek, when you're, and this is true, by the way, when you're, uh, you know, talking about, well, what if I go into a restaurant and they know my allergies and they know my health history? And I'll tell you quite frankly, I don't want them to know that. Right. So in business, I think, which is why I say, which is why when I talk about the network economy, I always think about the idea of the right information to the right people. Right. So in the, it's not just you know uh, uh, transparency, but it's it's controlled transparency. It, you know, I think there has to be in the in in the commerce in commerce networks. There has to be some control. There has to be some, some controls around who sees what. It needs to be opened up, and that's what the networks do. But businesses don't want every other business to know certain things about themselves or certain partners. So I think it's, it's controlled transparency. It's kind of critical in the, uh, in, in the B2B network world. I, I would point, argue through, uh, that that is changing, maybe not as rapidly as in the consumer world. But if you're looking at, for example, a retailer, and a, and, a, and a consumer goods company, and, and that relationship, the value is, is in the knowledge. The value is in the real-time knowledge of what's flying off the shelves, what's not flying off the shelves. So that level of transparency is almost becoming the norm and will, will, will only continue to become the norm as those networks get opened up um, so, so both parties can realize and add value to each other in that context of that relationship. Yes, and in, in the consumer world and in retail in certain areas, that's absolutely right. I'm thinking about in a, in a business context, in a network where a supplier and their or, and their particular customer may have particular terms or negotiated terms that are part of that network and controlling some of the business processes around that network. Do they want that information to be opened up, transparent to their other customers who may be on on that same network? So that now those other customers have insight into what they've negotiated with their competition. So that's the type of thing that, while the transparency is absolutely necessary, and that's the value of the network, the visibility into what needs to be seen, some of the oversharing that we see in the consumer world, I think, where it has impact in the consumer world of embarrassment, you know, if you overshare on Mm -hmm. Facebook or something, has a much greater impact in the business context. Good points, everyone. Good conversation. Guess what? I want to take it in a slightly different direction. You are my ideal panel. You get it. You're playing in the sandbox very well and raising the bar. Love it. I think Dave Fowler is enjoying this very much, too, and he's tweeting his little fingers out as are Andy Grieg and Dave, and I think there's some other people tweeting for us today. Drew Hoffler, I want to look at some of the notes you sent me before the show. I'd like to talk about, looking back a little bit historically, collaborative business networks and the evolution. And you say, collaborative Collaborative business networks are fundamentally changing how businesses operate and interact both internally 
and externally. So internally, the standard operating model or SOP, standing operating procedure, since we go way back in time, has been to operate in silos. How great is my silo? How smart are we? How have we automated our processes? Are we best run? Are we clean? Are we doing it and rocking it? Yes, but we don't want silos anymore. So you continue in the past five to ten years, and why don't you take us from that point and continue? Drew, what's happened in the past five to ten years with these smart silos? Right, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, companies have always had, we've always, you see all the business diagrams and presentations about the silos within companies, you know, procurement, treasury, AP, sales, whatever it might be, all operating very efficiently within themselves, but, you know, holding on to their own little kingdom and controlling information and not playing nice in the sandbox, to use your term from earlier, with their compatriots within their own company. Well, business networks, are all about making connections, and I, I think it was Rebecca said this earlier, about making connections across uh, partnerships, across processes and people and partners, and breaking down those silos and connecting them together. So for just a very simple example in the, that, I, that I'm involved in all the time is the procure-to-pay process, where when you have a sourcing event and procurement that happens and a PO goes out, and then at the end of the process there's an invoice, and then finally payment. Well, that invoice... Uh, if it's not connected to what happened ahead of time in procurement, what procurement negotiated may never be actually realized in terms of savings on that invoice. In fact, there's entire industries. It was just at a conference yesterday uh, in the Alex Babel conference where there are entire uh, industries, uh, people presenting around post-audit recovery, where there's these firms that go out. And one right across the hall from me uh, made the claim that they've saved companies $3 billion in the last year alone of recovered savings that that they went out and recovered after looking at the contract, going back to what they actually overpaid and getting that money back. Well, the reason they lost that $3 billion in the first place, and this is just one company, right? The reason they lost that $3 billion in the first place is because they're operating in silos. That contract is not connected to the invoice. So networks tie that key data together and realize that things like P2P is a linked value chain, not individual siloed processes. But beyond the silos within the company, networks also then carry that connection outside of the firewall, right outside of a company's firewall into the cloud and connect it with their partners and suppliers outside of that that are all part of that entire P2P process or other process, be it financing or uh, supply chain or whatever it might be. There are multiple parties involved in a process that is really a linked value chain and that's what business networks do. They allow those parties to come together and to you know, connect all the information and operate and make decisions at the right time. So that's kind of what I, what, what I was meaning about what business networks are doing to really kind of break down those silos and, and, and let companies see that they really need to operate together uh, within and then without their firewall as well. Thank you, Drew. Great point. And I love the number attached to that, the $3 billion recovered. That's something that will make anybody stand up, any comptroller saying, yes, sign me up. I want to be part of a network like that. Uh, Vivek and, and uh, Reuven, any comments on what Drew just shared with us? Yeah, I think I want to pick up on one point, which is uh, the example of efficiency uh, that Drew just talked about. So, you know, if you peel back the conversation a little bit, um, let's look at the characteristics of the network economy. So I believe that in the network economy, everything, any object that you can think of, for instance, can be digitized and it can be tracked. Everything can be connected to each other. Everything can ultimately be shared, and therefore, everything can be personalized. 
everything that we take for uh, granted today as something that we need to own, for instance, could ultimately be provided as a service. So what this does is, I think, in existing systems, to, do, uh, to Drew's point earlier, it brings about opportunities for tremendous efficiency gains. And I think we see these types of examples. And there's one fantastic example of the uh, of a port in Germany where the port was able to essentially put sensors on a number of their uh, you know, trucks in, in different aspects of their assets. And we, they were able to, by simply making those connections and extracting information about those assets moving around at the port, they were able to triple the type of business that they did in the port without increasing the capacity. So there's huge examples of efficiency gains through simply making connections and sharing information. But I believe that the biggest thing that we, we need to look at in the future is not just the efficiency gains, but the types of transformational business models uh, that are going to drive the next wave of productivity. Um, and I think there, there are lots of different examples of where this is happening already. I'll give you one example that we probably, most of us and many of the listeners on the call are, uh, use on a daily basis, and that's the example of uh, Waze, W-A-Z-E, Z-E, which is a great example of social interaction. So if you're, you know, it's, it's basically giving you access to a map when you're traveling on the road, it's connecting your mobile phone to different businesses, it's getting information from different people in real time about the status of road conditions and traffic. And that's an enormous advantage to you um, as, a, as a driver who's trying to navigate across traffic or, you know, get from point A to point B in a way that was unthinkable just five years ago. So I think those are some examples of transformational business changes, and I think that's where the world is headed. So, so I want and, to take uh, just a couple of minutes to circle mm -hmm. back on, on Drew's comment. There, there's one word that I'm not particularly a big fan of, which is firewall, right? And mm -hmm. um, the, the word you – know, I see firewalls really coming down in companies that want to win in, in, in the networked economy. And, and mind you, there is data sharing. There is still some of the old-school thinking around – you know, my four walls and everything needs to happen uh, between those four walls. The innovation, my employees need to be full-time, etc. And I want to bring up an example. There's a platform out there called Kaggle, and it's a platform for data scientists. You've got essentially about six, six, seven thousand 7,000 uh, participants, folks that are really passionate about data. They're all independent. They're all over the world across 60-some-odd countries. And one recent example is uh, GE, General Electric, in partnership with Alaska Airlines. They put out a challenge on this platform, again, to these independent data scientists, to figure out a way to optimize flight efficiencies in, in real time. So essentially reducing what we hate, delays, maximizing profitability for the airlines. As we know, it's a huge challenge. And... Over the course of about four to five weeks, they've received 6,800 submissions coming across the world from 58 countries. The gentleman that won, his name is Jose Folosa, he, his algorithm proved to be up to 12% more efficient. So mm -hmm. using Jose's model, GE took it a little bit further, they figured that if they reduced the distance of each flight by only 10 miles, what it means annually is 360 million gallons of fuel mm. saved, and the industry saves $3 billion a year. So coming back to this 
firewall, my four walls, let's, you know, let's not necessarily share the data and try to solve all these complex problems ourselves versus platforms like Kaggle or Innocentive that even NASA deals with to solve some of its biggest problems, um, I think is, is, the, is the wrong way of thinking. And for companies that really want to thrive in this networked economy, it's about opening up those firewalls or even erasing, erasing that word of firewall from their vocabulary and, and collaborating with their community. Yeah. Who wants maybe to, anybody want to? Yeah, I yeah. want to tell the panel we have two minutes before we're going to take a break, and I was going to go in another area, but this is too good to stop. I tell you what, we're not going to take the break. So keep going, and I'll tell you when it's time for your predictions, which will be in about four minutes, five minutes. So <laughs> go ahead, uh, Vivek. Some panels are just so energetic. I can't. I don't have the heart to stop the party. So uh, Vivek, I think you wanted to continue. Please go ahead. Yeah, I think I want to just touch on what Ruben said because it's a very, very important element. I think you know, Ruben, it goes back to something that you mentioned earlier about uh, productivity and basically the, the impact on perhaps the loss of productivity uh, in some cases where some industries are going to disappear, right? Um, but I think the example that you just gave is a phenomenal example of how the network economy is going to create many more opportunities. So today, in today's world, we have uh, a scenario where we've got on a global scale opportunities for perhaps just a, you know, a privileged few. In the network economy, through some of the examples, I mean, a great example that you gave of these social collaboration platforms where you can you know, crowdsource ideas and so on and so forth, I believe that we will get to a stage where we can unleash all human potential regardless of where it exists. And you do that through collaboration, you do that through disaggregation of work, and really rethinking some of the traditional boundaries that have confined opportunities and economic advantage to just a few people. And I think this is a huge deal because it's not just about uh, delivering a, a superior customer experience or a personalized you know, customer experience to somebody who goes to a restaurant. It's really being able to capture the intellectual capacity mm -hmm. on a global scale from everywhere. And I think that's going to lead to unbelievable sort of um, you know, transformation in, the, in, in, in productivity and output and so on and so forth. It's going to literally change the, the, the power balance in the world in the future. I would completely agree with that, Vivek. And it's, and it's not only – it goes beyond the consumer experience. It goes beyond business. It goes into making a world a better place and, and collaborating to solve some of the biggest problems that we've had, frankly, for, for decades, for centuries. And we're still grappling in terms of whether – the next, uh, the, the the big solution will come from a large co a large corporation, or will we see things like cures for diseases, etc., coming from the intelligence of those uh, of those various mm -hmm. individuals that could literally be anywhere in the world and contributing their knowledge and their collaboration to really solve those big, hairy, and scary problems. Reuven, great segue. I do want to get one more point in, uh, and it's from your talking points. I want to cover this, and you just gave me the perfect in. You say we're moving to this new hyper-connected business where we're focused on knowledge sharing. That's what you just said. Growing number of businesses are using social media and business networks to improve collaboration with the enterprise and across the supply chain. But here's the point I want you to talk about, Reuven. You say expertise now resides in fanatical customers. The world's best experts are on your product. 
product on your product or service don't work for your company they're your customers or a hobby tribe talk to me i've never heard the her, the term hobby tribe and i think this goes with what you're talking about the broad base of knowledge sharing so ruben you yep. want to uh, give you two minutes on this and then we have to move into prediction so go ahead ruben sure absolutely so let me just share a recent example that happened to me this weekend i was trying to print and uh and my printer just was not cooperating with me for some reason. It just would refuse to work. And in the old world, I would call the manufacturer of my printer, which shall be mm-hmm. unnamed for, for, this, for this particular discussion. But, Don't protect them. <laughs> but what I, what I did and what I always do now is I find myself just Googling. I, I, yes. I punched in a symptom. I'm getting this yep. error message, CX0 whatever, <laughs> into mm-hmm. Google. And came across a number of community forums. And these community forums were not made of people that were working for the manufacturer of the printer. Far from that. There were just individual users like me that might have had an issue and solved it. So literally within three to four minutes, I read the solution, unplugged a couple of cables, kicked the printer a couple of times, and, and now it's working, right? So mm-hmm. that, that goes now for you know, how we troubleshoot when we have um, uh, automotive issues, our cars making a certain weird noise or a certain light comes on, it, it, it goes right into, I've seen extreme examples in terms of medical diagnosis, right? And I know Dr. Google isn't necessarily the most reliable physician out there, but people have managed to save their own lives to, by finding people that had similar symptoms and cures. So again, knowledge is all over. The, the power of the network that comes in and the power of collaboration really helps us um, change the way that we look for that information, the way that we solve our problems, the way that we live our lives. Thank you, Ruben. Very exciting. Vivek, I'll give you a minute on this one, and Drew, and then we have to go into our predictions round. So, Ruben, you can be teeing up your predictions while they're talking. Drew or Vivek, who wants to comment on what Ruben just said? Um, well, I think I've said, uh, you know, I think I, I, well, first of all, I agree. I think, um, as we've talked about before, um, the biggest transformational change that I see is not just um, the impact on business, but the impact on society at large. And I mm-hmm. think one of the things that um, we haven't talked about, but we've maybe touched upon it a little bit, is the notion of how much data and how much privacy are we willing to give up as individuals to gain value out of what the potential is. I think this is going to be a growing concern in the future. You're seeing a lot of uh, examples, for instance, uh, major cities like the city of Chicago, for instance, creating open data initiatives, which provides an incentive to entrepreneurs of all types to use the information to improve um, city services. So I think you're going to see those types of things um, happen more and more in the future. And I I frankly don't see uh, too many limits uh, on the on the horizon, I think this is only going to accelerate. Very exciting, uh, yeah. Drew. You want to chime in, and then we're going to yeah, uh, Vivek. Absolutely. You're going to be up with predictions first. Go ahead. Yeah, go I, ahead, Drew. I think I think one of the key things that uh, that Ruben was talking about, and Vivek here as well, right? This this idea of of and I do I do like the idea of breaking down the firewall uh, and and the information getting out there, and and because I think what that does is it. It, it, it not only brings you the opportunity, as Ruben said, and I think we've all experienced the same thing, of being able to find a solution very quickly from outside of the owner of you know, the product that maybe you're trying to find a solution for. But what I think the networked economy does, and it, particularly in the, in the context of business commerce, um, is it, it brings about the, the opportunity for unexpected sources of, of value. 
and and unexpected benefits as well. I mean, there's there's countless examples of, of companies and you know operating in this network in this network environment, sharing information, the right information at the right time, and accessing it where uh, where a value benefit was generated. It was very unexpected from an area that that normally would not have generated uh, that type of value. So I think the, that's the idea of if you control who sees everything and you think you, you know, know where the best avenue is, that's, that, that's kind of that old school thinking. But being able to open it up allows a, a bit of a crowdsourcing element into it where it, it, innovation, insight, value can come from lots of different areas and, and it you know, benefits everybody involved. So that, to me, is one of the exciting aspects about the network. Thank you, Drew. We're officially now in crystal ball territory. I've got six minutes to close the show. I'm going to give you each 90 seconds. Keep it tight. Vivek Bapat, why don't you start us off? What do you see five or six years from today, 2020? Is hindsight, hindsight's 2020. What do you think will be happening to networked commerce in the next six years? Talk to me. 90 seconds. Go. I believe that the future uh, in the network economy is very, very bright. So I think fundamentally, I think we're going to start moving from uh, consumer engagement into consumer experiences. We're going to make the shift from products to services and solutions. I think we're going to move into this notion of unleashing human potential, regardless of where it exists from a geography or economic uh, perspective. And then I think we're going to start moving from a world where we've been severely constrained in resource management. Think about food, water, energy, some of the things that the world uh, is, is really facing some tremendous shortages on today. We're going to move from that world into an opportunity where we live in a world of resource abundance. So I, I see great promises and, and future potential. I do think that with those promises, there will, there's going to be a complete sort of dismantling of some types of jobs industries mm-hmm. and businesses. So I think if you are in an industry where, um, you know, that the status quo is not being challenged today, get ready for it. Every industry, in my opinion, will be challenged. There's going to be disruption that occurs across every possible industry. So I think um, we need to be all aware of that and get ready for that type of disruption. The second big aspect, I believe, is that the network economy hinges on the sharing of information and the connecting of information. Now, I'll go back to the point that I made earlier, which is if we get into scenarios where people don't see the value of services that they get back in exchange for private information, that could be a huge hurdle, and it's a barrier that I think uh, we're going to have to work very, very hard uh, to overcome in the future. So I think, uh, again, lots of promises, but I think a couple of key concerns that I see in terms of getting uh, of all of us getting there. Thank you, Vivek Bapat. We're going to move quickly to Drew Hoffler. Drew, 90 seconds. Keep it tight. Go. All right. I think, you know, we've seen business networks enabling just incredible uh, levels of insight, innovation, and I I think we were just scratching the surface on, on what's happening, in, particularly in the area of, of businesses and network commerce uh, in that area. I think going back to a point we made a little bit earlier about the amount of data that is that is out there, you know, that data can be overwhelming, but I think we're starting to see and, and will see in five to ten years the growing ability to to manage that data and turn it into not only turn it to knowledge and information, actionable information. And I, I believe what we're seeing now will just increase uh, exponentially really 
into what I call the convergence of visibility, opportunity, and, and capability. The idea that more and more people and more and more companies will have visibility into key inflection points along processes and uh, key information that can drive value and can drive innovation. But not only visibility into that, but the opportunity to act upon that. You know, a small company having the opportunity to uh, interact with a larger company across the globe because now they can see each other and interact with each other via a network where previously they couldn't. And then the, oppor- and then the ability or the capability to act on that opportunity. These three things are what I think make business networks and network commerce very powerful. And that I think we're going to see, we're just in the beginnings of, there's so many areas and examples we could go into, but this idea of of visibility, opportunity, and capability converging, I think that's where where network commerce is going. Thank you so much. And I saved exactly one minute for Ruben Gorsh. Start now. Go. So... I, I want to just maybe summarize it as the, the balance between the corporation and the individual is, is going to dramatically change the way I see it. And the power will flow to the individual. And we've talked about examples today around business model disruption, how an individual like Grace Choi can essentially innovate and disrupt an entire industry, all the way to if you're in financial services, peer-to-peer lending, If you're in transportation, companies like Uber and Lyft are coming out um, where they're changing the, 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 the dynamics, again, giving that individual the power. We talked about communities being able to solve some of the world's biggest problems or even some of the more minute problems like a printer not working. So that balance of power to the individual is, is going to shift. It's going to create, as, as Vivek mentioned, major disruption across every industry. We're already seeing a huge trend towards the sharing economy or the collaborative economy where sharing is becoming the new buying. We've got 23% of individuals in North America using some of these sharing services, sharing vehicles, sharing office spaces, uh, sharing money, sharing um, even employment Ruben, opportunities. I have to disrupt you. We're out of time. Thank you so much. Thank i got to do my closing. Thank you. Great point. Sorry we didn't have time. This is uh, <laughs> Future of Business with Game Changers. Coming up on Monday, it's Financial Excellence. Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Tuesday is HR Trends, 9 a.m. Pacific. Wednesday's Coffee Break, 8 a.m. Pacific. And back next Thursday with Future of Business at 7 a.m. Pacific. Thank you to Vivek Bapat, Drew Hoffler, Reuven Gorst. Wonderful panel. You get it. Thank you. I'm very grateful. Shout-outs to Dave Fowler and Andy at SAP Services for tweeting, Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I still have a call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday morning bright and early, actually Monday 1 a.m. Pacific, at Financial Excellence with Game Changers here on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.